Welcome to another exciting episode of Purpose on Purpose, Overcoming Adversity and Creating Resiliency. I'm your host, Dario Herrera, with my co-host, Christy Grease. And today we have an extraordinary guest and someone who has had um, an impact on my life beyond I could ever imagine. Someone who's been a friend, a mentor, a leader, a teacher, and really a huge part of my uh, emotional growth. And I'm so grateful to have Amy Ayub on with us as our first guest on Purpose on Purpose. You forgot to say I was your, the president of your fan club, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only member, too. <laughs> We've got another one here. With hey, us. I'm on there, too. I'm a member. <laughs> Co-president. Welcome, Amy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Amy, last week we talked a lot about some of the formulaic parts of overcoming adversity and uh, developing resiliency. And, you know, as, as I've experienced you and, and seen your arc of development, both personal and professional, I mean, when we first met, you were a financial consultant and doing volunteer fundraising for political candidates. You became then a full-time political consultant uh, fundraising and, and I would argue probably the top political consultant fundraiser in the country. And you transitioned from that to uh, being a speaking coach and arguably one of the best speaking coaches with a unique approach. And in between that, you had some incredible things happen too, right? You were the first woman appointed to the Nevada Athletic Commission and you've had uh, a documentary on your life, you know, the Zen speaker breaking the silence. And I wonder, have you faced any adversity along the way? <laughs> it's been easy sailing. <laughs> yeah, I have. And you know, for a long time, I always considered that the adversity that I brought on myself. I took on blame from the time I can remember. I took mm -hmm. on the, that blame on myself and self-sabotage, self-sabotage. And there definitely has been that. But it's not about finding blame or anything, but it is recognizing that there that the blaming game is not going to help you get through anything. It certainly isn't going to lead to a happy, joyful life. So it's been a long, slow journey. I'm hoping that listeners will be quicker learners than I was. <laughs> it took me a little while. <laughs> but you know, there's been benchmarks along the way that I've overcome different challenges in my life and still faced another and another. And like I said, some of those were brought on by myself, but others weren't. And we tend, as I talk to other people, we, you included, tend to take on other people's uh, guilt and shame that just doesn't belong to us at all. People have unfortunately done really horrible things to other people along the way. You know, you'll hear victims of crime, you'll hear victims of rape, blaming themselves they shouldn't have been out at night or whatever it is it's like no some <laughs> violent person violated you and yet we there's something about the human nature that we take that on ourselves so that the adversity that we all experience at sometimes uh, we need to look at it and identify where what caused it again not to blame but to be able to resolve it and it's a different way to resolve it if we did bring it on ourselves compared to if somebody else brought it to us. 
that's such a good distinction. It's something we talked about last week. And, you know, Christy has experienced a ton of adversity in her life, uh, primarily from external, you know, being bullied in high school, for example. Right. She didn't do anything to bring that upon herself, you know, and then we contrasted that with some of my adversity, some of it self-created. Right. Definitely. I had no control over how my stepfather treated me or my mom walking out. But I did have control as an adult when I made choices that, you know, weren't becoming, uh, weren't um, filled with integrity and, uh, you know, weren't honoring the responsibilities I was given by the folks who put me in a place of responsibility. Right. Um, so how, how do you how do you deal with for a minute that when you were saying that, what I was thinking was even those things that we say we brought on ourselves were the results of some of the treatment that we experienced. Right. We're, we were doing things that show that weren't respecting ourselves, you know, in my case, drugs, and alcohol, or, you know, so many things. But for one instance, that that but that. It's so I can say I brought that on myself. I didn't have to, you know, it's an illness. It's a, my father was alcoholic. I mean, there's so many other parts to it. Low self-worth being vulnerable to the first man that pays attention to me or any man that pays attention to me was because I had been abandoned and was looking for that male uh, love, right? That attention. So, and you also, the same thing. You you suffered really sad, horrible um, incidents in your childhood, and so yes, maybe you know we can look back and say it was a choice, but it was a choice based on how somebody else treated us when we weren't able to make our own choices. So I think we need first of all to learn to be gentle on ourselves. And and again, I just want to reiterate, it's not about finding blame or something. It's just right. we're not going to get better if we keep beating ourselves up. Yeah, one of the things that we're working towards in this show as we have conversations is really identifying the parts that um, lead individuals, whether it's self-imposed or not, whether how you got to the adversity or not, you know, the the parts of converting that adversity into resilience, right? And one of the things we identified last week uh, was surrounding yourself with a tribe that loves you, that really loves you, right? That supports you accepts you it's unconditional uh, a lot like our friendship has been over the years it hasn't been without me disappointing you and or you getting angry at me for disappointing you or whatever <laughs> but uh but it's it's been unconditional and I, i've loved you unconditionally and i've received that you know love from you so tribe is an important part of that right accepting responsibility for the adversity whether it's your fault or not owning it right your part in it and understanding the source of it so that when you know better you do better to quote uh, Maya, right? Um, so what would you say then um, is this conversation of whether it's self-imposed or not, you know, what would you say if we could pull out a formula or like a part to make it part of a formula of converting adversity into resilience, you know, how would you categorize that? Well, one of the things you mentioned, I think is the most important is taking responsibility in the way that again isn't blame it's saying i'm in control i have a cho i have choices and we didn't always have those healthy choices we weren't coming from that place but now we can choose to make better choices and a lot of people will say well you know that's blaming yourself is taking responsibility 
and some of us go back as far as saying that we chose the parents that we were born into the family yeah. to learn these lessons, right? That's something mm -hmm. I've heard. Yes. Please, right? Yeah. And so, and people go, oh, no, that's not, you know, I don't believe that. Okay, you don't, but I do. And it freed, that one belief freed me to be able to better myself and be open to other uh, to to getting a tribe around me, to doing all these other things. But I couldn't do any of that without saying, I'm totally responsible for everything that happens to me. Again, that was not a negative, that's not a negative sentence to me. It's a free, right. positive sentence to me. And even, you know, every day, probably at one time, not two, I'm sure not two days go by that I don't have to remind myself of that when I get into my Ooh, so sad. I need more business, whatever it is. It's like, I'm in control. What do I do? Right. I could, I could choose to, to do something different and it, it is very freeing. So I think that one, I, I don't know that there's a better that you can say, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be resilient. Right. There are certain, you know, the ones that you mentioned uh, definitely are, are important. The, and before you have a tribe, because you know, there's a big trust issue for those of us who have suffered trauma, right? whether it's from our family or from uh, relationships or whatever. There's usually a really <laughs> significant trust issue. So to say all of a sudden we're going to have a tribe, that didn't happen. That's even, you you know, when you talk about our relationship, uh, disappointments or whatever you want to call it, we, we tested each other, right? There was a no trust. There was, a, of course, he did that because he's a man and that's what they do or for you the opposite with women right the uh, in any kind of friendship or anything there was that trust we didn't trust ourselves we didn't certainly didn't trust other people so i would just say before you get that tribe to 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 have a safe tribe which is positive books which is meditation which yeah. is any kind of film or anything that you can find that's positive then that's your tribe until you can connect with somebody else that you know all of a sudden you're hearing other people that are reading those same books and watching those same movies and listening to that same podcast and you'll see that then you have a real person <laughs> that's your tribe so, so you know so I could I I couldn't agree with you more what what's coming up for me is a few things that you said but the one thing that I keep thinking is I'm thinking about shame and is shame and blame. Are they cousins? Or are they mother daughter? Like what's the relationship between shame and blame? Because I really ascribe, I really believe in what Brene Brown says that, that shame lives in secrecy. And so a lot of what you're saying about taking ownership of the choices you made or the things that have happened in your life, um, when you do speak those out, it's empowering. And I do, I think it creates this space that, um, that can that miracles can happen that healing can happen where if you you are in secrecy and you're you know t blaming yourself without really taking ownership there's there's not really that chance to to overcome it um i also think about the fact that um it's really important that we we have people in our lives that have earned the right to hear our stories and like you said I, it may start with befriending yourself I, you know, when I think about being bullied personally, I'm probably the biggest bully I've ever had in my life. I probably said the worst things to myself without realizing it and taking the time in meditation and prayer and, and, you know, self-healing, self-help, that journey, 
uh, I think you just then begin to attract those people because you're elevating your own, you know, energetic field. And, and I, I think that that's amazing that you are able to kind of acknowledge that the things that have happened to you, but then empower yourself by owning it. Even if it's something that you had no control of, right. there's something in the process of taking accountability that empowers you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think part of this too is the stories we tell ourselves about how people will receive us if they actually knew the truth. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and things that I historically haven't shared uh, because I fear that they would think less of me than they did already or that they couldn't possibly accept me or love me because if they only knew, right. If they only knew, and and I, I bring this up specifically, Amy, because you know you did one of the bravest things I've ever seen in my entire life. And when you testified before the legislature on a sex trafficking bill, and you sat there in front of people that you had raised money for, and people who knew you as this icon in Las Vegas, this legend, in Las Vegas, and, and you shared some pretty deep stuff with them. And I'd, I'd love to invite you to, to share what that experience was like, you know, whatever you want to share uh, about that, because uh, I, I think the response you got was probably not the response you expected. Thank goodness. <laughs> there was so much said just now that I want to <laughs> touch on. Chris, when you said with the blame and shame thing, you know, guilt is when you say, I did something bad. And shame is when you say, I am bad. And so that's the difference between that. And it's a huge difference. And so we're, we blame ourselves. And people like to buy into that as long as we're blaming ourselves, those people that were, some of them that were guilty or some of them that were witness and didn't do anything, they're happy for us to take <laughs> that blame and they can be in denial. So it's a big difference you know, and it changes everything. It's one of the reasons we don't speak up. It's going to change all the dynamics around us. It's not just going to change us. You know, it's yeah. going to change the safety of those people and the denial and avoidance that they've had too. So it's, it's such a, you know, it's easy from somebody on the outside that has an experience to say, oh, it's not a big deal or just say it. Oh, it's such a ripple effect, right? Because it's such a, our sickness is everybody around us is sickness also the yeah that feeling of if they only knew you know dario that i'd say that all the time when in the community you know being active in this community i would get awards or you know be highlighted at a luncheon or and every time it was that feeling of if they only knew and that when i got when i was uh, appointed to the nevada state athletic Commission, it's the most sought after board in Nevada to sit on. It's really known as the Boxing Commission. And, it, you know, it was something you know, that's all I wanted all my life. It was, I was a boxing fan from the time I was a little girl and it was a big deal. And because it was such a big deal, is the only thing that kept me going and wanting it. Because at the same time I was going for that and wanting that and hoping I got it, I was almost paralyzed with fear that my story would come out. 
that it, then they would know, right? And because a lot of people in the boxing world knew me from that past life. That's when I was a teenager and young adult. And they, so I was terrified. It was, it was international news uh, because I was the first woman and it was a big deal and that did not come out. But every time I was in a meeting, every time I was in the paper, every, I lived every day with if they, you know, if they only knew and if they find out, I'm done. I built a, what, with Dario's help, built a wonderful fundraising business that I loved and was very successful at. And every day and every time I got a new client, I mean, I remember the first time Dario introduced me to a couple of people that were going to be new clients. One was running for DA and one was running for sheriff. I thought, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, are you serious right now? <laughs> I was so nervous. I think if they found out, because even if you have a relationship with a candidate and they don't care, they know you as this adult that has done other things, the campaign team is not going to take the chance of a story being about, oh, the person asking for money, you know, was in the world of prostitution. It's not, it wasn't going to happen. I was going to lose my whole career. Mm -hmm. I definitely, I, I felt it every day. So, but, you know, a series of things happened that it just got where I couldn't keep it in anymore. When I got, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was lucky that they got it early and, mm -hmm. it would, you know, it turned out to be a lumpectomy. Mastectomy, I was very lucky, but it didn't matter. When I was diagnosed with it, I was, you would think I, that they told me I had a day to live. I was devastated i felt like when they went in there they were going to find all this cancer because i was full of cancer because i was this phony person and mm -hmm. you know it was horrible and that's when i started writing some of the stories somebody you know somebody that i reached out to suggested that i just start writing some of the stories and that's when stories came up that were negative stories of that time because i had lived this this falsehood that it was my choice it was my fault and it was fine and i even told funny stories of you know you do have a life in <laughs> that life you have other friends and things so funny things can happen i held on to that and anybody in my family or anything that that knew me at that time they only heard those things so they go hey you know it's not for me but she chose it she had fun <laughs> it was her it's it's what she wanted to do and they just didn't know. I kept all the, the violence and all the pain away from them and away from me. And it was the first time as I started journaling about it that stories came up of, you know, almost dying at the hands of a pimp, almost dying at the hands of a buyer. You know, how I felt about myself, all those things. And it still took a while. Then I read about a girl that was being trafficked who was killed by her and I connected with her so much, it felt like it was me. She was the same age, she you know, had been a runaway, just there was so much that was the same. I felt like that that's the other choice. That's the other thing that could have happened, Amy. You know, that could have been you. Mm. And it's not, right? Uh, so what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> so that's when I knew I had to speak up. And yet it still took me a few years because I thought, what am I supposed to do? Get a microphone and go out on Las Vegas Boulevard and say, uh, you guys probably wondering. <laughs> you know what my story nobody cares like where's the place and it took a few years before just how everything falls into place you know what we say are coincidences but just my yeah. life in politics 
the I was I had done fundraising for our attorney general, and um, even though it was you know years after that, she I heard her in, out in the community talking about a bill that she wanted to bring forth that would introduce the terminology of sex trafficking and tighten up the laws against traffickers. Mm-hmm. And I've, I I, rem- I can still feel the embarrassment that I felt listening to her. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. no, I should be doing something. She's doing something I'm not doing. It was horrible. And then the next year I was invited to speak at the school, which is a detention school, Caliente here in Nevada, that I had graduated from when I was 17. I was asked to speak there. And I decided that that was going to be the place that I just touched on it. And mm. I, and I, you know, it was a big process to make sure that they, you keep saying, you want to hear my story. You don't know my story <laughs> after I left there. Do you really want to hear my story? <laughs> and they, you know, when I finally told them, then they said, Tap, you know, like 95% of the girls here, 12 to 18 have been trafficked. So that's the first place that was still, a, even though it was a, Hundred people or so. It was a safe place. There was no press. There, you know, it was counselors and teachers and kids. And I didn't go into it much, but I definitely acknowledged it, touched on it, and that freed me that enough to go to the attorney general and say, "I know that about this bill, and I want to help you." You tell, me. and I told her my story, and she was wonderful. And I thought she was going to ask me to talk to a couple of the legislators that were against it. And instead, they, she said, would you sit next to me and tell your story to the mm. committee, the joint committee? And I just said yes before I thought about it. And then, <laughs> and then I did everything that I tell my students not to do <laughs> to prepare for it. <laughs> right? I tell them. What year was your testimony? 2013. Okay. And, you know, I just, I was petrified. I really was. And I... It was the first time that I was thought I could lose my my family. This might be just too much for them to get this public. And yet, and I thought Did they know the story, Amy. Did yes. they know about it? Okay. And they, but I thought that I was physically gonna die if I didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, the cancer before. I thought if I don't, that's gonna happen again, and something's gonna happen. I, I can't I'm gonna implode. And it was almost not being able to function. You know, just the shame was overwhelming. And the, the uh, you know, it, it's a false pride, but it's almost when I saw that story of that girl, Nicole, that maybe if I spoke up, that wouldn't have happened to her, which is, yeah. you know, it's like, that's really false pride. That okay, I, had, I get it. You know, and I didn't want to have that feeling again either. Um, and so I, again, I just you know, knew what's, you know, wrote out kind of the stories that I felt would be the ones that would explain and change the stereotype that they had and that would touch on parts of the bill that were important. And and then most of the time it wasn't about preparing how to speak or how to deliver it or any of that. So it, was praying, it was praying, it was bringing in every positive quote I had, Marianne Williamson's, <laughs> you know, sharing your light gives other people permission to share theirs. All that went with me. That's all I could do. And it was amazing. It was, um, after I shared it, 
I, it, it, I wasn't clear. It was kind of a blur. You know, looking at the people was kind of a blur. I realized I saw I focused on a couple. Your friend Ruben, our friend Ruben Dario, and he was in. You know, they were in chairs, and mm-hmm. Ruben said he almost fell off his chair. I mean, it was such a shock to people that were ready to hear this bill and not. They thought I was there. You know, they you have to sign up. They knew I was testifying. They thought I was there because I was an advocate for this bill. They knew I was friends with Catherine. I'm a community activist that I could just have read that story and been, you know, interested in the subjects. They had no idea that there was that personal story. And you have to stay in there while everybody else testifies with no phone or anything. So it was a couple hours after I spoke, mm. I had any feedback. And it, It was so overwhelming, you know, the love that I got. It was so opposite of what I feared. And the love was amazing. They were just literally there with their arms open, people wanting to hug me and people offering for to use their office and calls coming in. You know, Senator Reid wanted, you know, they say Senator Reid wants to see you. And he, he, you know, just said how proud he was, just everybody. And yeah. And my family, uh, a couple of my family members watched it and they, they didn't, I didn't even get an immediate thing. They just said it, like, they wanted it to be okay for my mother who was older, right? They wanted to make sure, uh, not that she watched it, but that she would have been all right with it. And they were, uh, I found out later they were proud, but I think they were in such shock <laughs> that it was done that way and everything that um, I didn't hear directly from them right away, but I knew that they were okay and they were all right with me. And, and since then, and certainly through the documentary, they've been nothing but supportive and fabulous. My sister came out for the opening, things like that. And even my mother saw it and it's resolved issues with us. She wasn't happy about it. She didn't want it to happen. She didn't want me to testify. She didn't want me to talk about it. And once she watched the film, um, she just she actually said she was sorry, which were the two words I've been waiting mm. for sixty weeks to hear. But I didn't need it anymore. But I really needed to hear it, and it changed everything for us. You know, it's unbelievable. So everything was you know it it was more it was love not hate it was people embracing me not turning away from me it was healing instead of separation with my family it's and and i and i watch it all the time in people that in my friends like dario and students in my classes that will just be you know take the chance of share you know renee brown's quote that one of the many that i love so much is uh, when shame is spoken that it loses its power right and so to have a safe place that's what i want is to, to create that safe place for somebody to be able to speak their shame they don't have to become advocates for something afterwards they don't ever have to talk about it again but if they'll get that out of the way then they can be more of themselves in uh, everyday situations so the film is the Zen speaker breaking the silence. It's been uh, widely recognized at film festivals across the country. It's been picked up by PBS. It's an Amazon. Hey. It's kind of wanted to experience that, Amy, because I think it's whether you're interested in trafficking or not. I mean, 
the real message is that of shame, overcoming shame, and and what you just said, and and really bringing it to light. And and you know the other thing too is like not everyone deserves to know your story either, right? right. And and the power of being able to dictate when you share it and who you share it with. Uh, from a place of power and choice is incredibly important too. And you chose uh, to share it uh, in the broadest, most visible way possible, not just at Caliente, uh, not just in front of the legislature, but you know, to lend yourself to this documentary that's been you know, aired nationally and internationally. So I guess the first question is where, if people want to experience it, where do they, where do they go? It's on Amazon Prime. It's, uh, okay. or in the United States and you and the UK, it's it's not all over the world, but those two okay. countries you can get it on Amazon Prime. And yeah, the I never thought that I would do a documentary. I didn't want to be filmed. You know, <laughs> I know. Yes, we had these conversations. <laughs> I don't want to be on who camera. Cares? I, I still hear you saying, "Who cares? Like, who, who wants to listen? Who cares? What, what does it matter? You know, who cares about me? You know, I, I still remember those conversations very vividly." Right. And people kept saying I should write a book after I testified to everybody. You need to write a book. And I kept thinking, then I was feel, putting that shape, like, oh, I'm supposed to write a book. I should write a book. <laughs> and it just wasn't feeling right. And when Robin Greenspun approached me, she was just the right person. That You know, we talked about the importance of trust. It was There was just a trust there and that her intentions were right. And yeah. what I said to her is I have no intention or no desire to have a documentary done with stilettos clicking down the sidewalk, which is every trafficking uh, right. feature, right? And she looked at me like I was crazy. Like I was so far away from what she thought. And she said, this is about somebody that had this experience, but it's the woman you are now and what you're doing in your speaking coaching that I was attracted to, to mm. see all the things you're doing now. And so that's why I said, yes. And she stayed true to it that, Yes, definitely. There's a big part of the movie is about the trafficking part, but it's about how it affected me and how, you know, the law enforcement part of that, the shame part, the violence part, the family part, um, instead of just the look, this is how it looks. And this is, a, you know, the stilettos on the sidewalk is the only way I could say it's not that. Yeah. And as Robin and I, you know, we're going through it. It became different things too, from what we first started. I think it was going to be more about the family too, because the family was so interesting. My family has their own documentaries that they deserve, right? So, yeah, we all. <laughs> my goodness. Exactly. So it changed along the way. But what I started seeing is I want it, it's about shame. And it, not that many people are going to have the experience I had, but they're going to have an experience I didn't have. That, but and what we have in common is the shame that it created, is the trauma mm -hmm. that we felt, you know, is is the aftermath of you know how we have to pick up the pieces from that. You know, just getting out of that life is not the cure all. I was still on drugs and you know drinking. There was still a lot going on negatively in my life after I removed myself from that situation. So just picking up the pieces and how you know, how can we help the next person pick them up a little bit faster? Um, I, 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 lost, I lost a track of where I was going there. 
no, no, but, but I love it because it, it brings up the next question I want to ask you. And, and you've mentioned students, and uh, you have a very unique way of teaching public speaking and how to communicate. And what you've done for me is shared with me the value of my story and the power of my story and how it can be used to inspire others to forgive myself right to be willing to you know look at myself in a different light than you know i'm a bad person and no one gives a shit what i have to say because i did all these things when i was a kid or as an adult i took bribes i did this or i did that you know and you changed that for me you know you you i, I could always give a speech right? But what you taught me was the value of owning my story and sharing my story to heal, right? And and not and and in transition, I guess, as a result is helping others heal too, and providing hope and inspiration for others. But really, for me, it was about self healing. And when when I asked you that question, like, who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, and and your answer was, you know, everyone does. Yeah. You know, and most importantly, it's going to help you heal. And, and I'll never forget that. I asked you in the classroom, and I was struggling with an exercise we were doing. And, you know, and I was having one of those what was me moments and feeling sorry for myself and no one cares and I have nothing to say. And, and, and that was, you know, when I, I already knew you were brilliant, but that's when I learned how brilliant of a teacher uh, from a public speaking perspective you were. I mean, yes, you taught me the techniques, you taught me how to opening, how to open with a powerful statement, you know, but really what you taught me was that I have value and that that value is worth sharing, you know, with other people and, and overcoming shame in that process, you know? So, so tell us a little bit about your public speaking uh, coaching and, and, you know, what's different about what you do that uh, other folks might not from, from that perspective. I believe that a great public speaker is one that is authentic and that is conversational because they're authentic. They're not yeah. trying to be something. They're not choreographing their gestures. They're just being authentic. And you can't get there without, you know, conquering that shame and getting through that shame. And, you know, like you said, Christy, it's, it's who, you know, you don't have to tell everybody everything. I'm fine with that. I seem to tell everybody everything. <laughs> but you, you don't have to do that. But to get it out, like I said, in a safe place, it might not be me. It might be a re, your religious leader. It might be a therapist. It might be a trusted friend. But to get that out. And so my I feel that my real goal is to get the, get the person there through these classes, and then they can become this great public speaker. Then you can look, you know, it's not uh, rocket science here. There's, you know, seven or eight things to do to be a great, you know, techniques to be a right. great public speaker. So you can, anybody can learn that if they put the time and effort, but you can't be one without being authentic. You can't really be a great public speaker. And when you look at the people that you admire as a public speaker, I guarantee you just nine times out of 10, if you meet them off stage, they'll be that same way. And so that's my, that's always my goal. And if you, if a student never gets up and even does a practice speech, but they leave feeling empowered, then I feel that that was a success. And I've had people that did, I had somebody come recently that was, came through years ago 
and said you, the the confidence that came from that that they hardly ever speak. They're just not in that position at work. It's not something they do. They're not up there, but that their whole life changed because they felt more confident and they could go for promotions and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just recently started articulating it a certain way because it came to me that I say it's a public speaking class, but to that it's a lot like a fire walk or a ropes course, right? <laughs> you don't do a fire walk because you want to do walk on fire every day, right? You don't do a fire walk because that's what, what you're going to do as a career. You do a fire walk to break through some fear, to conquer that fear. And that's what this class is. Like, get let's break through doing a fear. And everybody has, or so many people have that fear of public speaking that they'll come for that reason. And the, hopefully they get more than that. They're breaking, because the fear is never about public speaking. The fear, yeah. which you talked about earlier, Christy, being our, being our biggest bullies. You know, yeah. we think people are going to judge us and criticize us because we're judging and criticizing ourselves. Amen. <laughs> That's a, people are not driving across town, paying money to come to this luncheon to hear you, to make fun of you. They're coming to learn something. They're coming mm. to hear something. That's mm-hmm. our self-talk that brings that. You know, that that's where that comes from. The fear is that. So when we can break through that that shame that is causing us to talk to ourselves like that, then we're half over halfway there. Without giving away the documentary and 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 the the ending and the experience of it, if you were to distill down your reality, your truth that you shared. Um, that, that really helped you break through and then created the documentary, what would that be? First of all, I want to go back to when I said I lost track of what I said. That was where I was going was what, what, what the documentary ended up being about was the shame and that that shows after the documentary, whenever we did Q&A or a panel, I, people came up to me and said, uh, I was raped and I've never told anybody. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I ever told anybody. I was a victim of incense and this is the first incest and this is the first time I've ever said that. Uh, it was, I think one time somebody else had been trafficked. It was only one time that we had the same experience, but everybody had this shame story and they came up and I realized when it first happened, I mean, luckily I've been working on myself and on this a long time. So I was very aware of the fact that they were that what Marianne Williamson, you know, the, the quote that I carried with me into my testimony of I told my story, I let my light shine and it gave them permission to let theirs. It's a good storyteller and it's a reason stories are so important in public speaking. It, that's what connects us. And when we're telling a story, it lets people relate to themselves, they re- reflect on themselves. And that's what they really like. So they'll say, oh, that person is such a great storyteller. Yeah, because it." Re- and then when you get into it, it's like, oh, they were talking about when they were in fourth grade. And I remembered when I was in fourth grade, this and that happened, or got my first car. And the stories don't have to be the same. The experiences don't have to be the same. There's just some connection, being this bad age, being in a certain place. It connects us and it makes us like co-authors of the story. Mm. You know, like a permission slip to, to have your experience and yep. to, and, and I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I share my story and then I'm able to help other people, there's so much healing that takes Absolutely. place. In that. Absolutely. Yeah. When people would say, 
even when they were asking me to speak, they'll say, you know, it'll help so many people. It was like, I said, and when I spoke at Caliente at the, with the kids, people said that, like, it'll help them. I thought I would love to say that that's why I'm going to do this, but I hope it helps somebody, but I'm absolutely doing this for myself because I'm going to die. I'm going to implode. And mm -hmm. I did it for myself. And yes, it did help others. And every time I speak, I'm still doing it for myself. Yes, I want to help others. Yes, I, I know logically that it helps others, but I'm extremely aware and okay with the fact that that's healing for me healing it and it, it fills me up so I can give more exactly so if someone wants to be coached by you on uh, in your unique process of coaching where do they go Amy I don't know if they want to now that I told the secret I kind of you do learn techniques also <laughs> they uh, my website is Amy AMY at the Zen speaker.com they can reach out and I'm on social media if they under my name, if they want to reach out. Have you gone virtual with your teaching now? Yes. Or are you in, okay. Yeah, I'm virtual and awesome. I'm starting, I'm starting a new class. My classes are always like eight to 10 people so that we can still get individual attention. And I'm starting one on April 9th. And then I also do individual coaching and I'm going to start awesome. some one hour, maybe just one hour workshops or a couple hour workshops. And if I um, get lucky enough, I think I might do something with Dario pretty soon too. So they could get double trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the blessed one there for sure. Uh, as I've always been in a relationship, you know? Uh, I mean, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, the, the, the title of our podcast is Purpose on Purpose, right? And that means a certain thing to Christy, that means a certain thing to me, and they're very complimentary. and. And I guess I'd love to hear, you know, where do you find purpose these days? I've thought about it a lot and I've thought about it more recently with the name of your podcast, actually. But um, through some coaching I'm doing with somebody, it's come up quite a bit where he talks about not having one purpose. Everybody is looking for this purpose. Right. And there's so many people that feel some people feel we found our purpose, but so many they they need money they need this job that's not their purpose what's their purpose and i really feel like our purpose is all the same i feel that our purpose of being here is to love and love each other and have and connect with each other through that love mm. that's really what i think our purpose is and i think that we when we're unhappy we're in a position that we can't do that or we it's it's not working for us to do that um, you've heard stories of people who have jobs that we consider not the successful jobs, just everyday jobs, a janitor, a, a, you know, garbage man, whatever. But there's those people in those jobs that have, that I would hear students at school saying the janitor is the one that they would go to, to trust. Yeah. He's always showing love. He's helping people. He's happy when he's doing his job. Right. The, and so we have the, the, these other people are judging something or I could never be happy doing that. Well, then you're not going to be happy doing this either. Right. <laughs> if you choose, because if you, he knows the purpose of life, whatever job that is, you can meet your purpose as long as you're being loving and connecting with people. 
first I was going to say supporting each other, but it's not always help. It's not, you don't always have to do something um, physical or money wise or anything like that. It's supporting what love is supportive. Love's the most supportive thing. When I walked out of that legislative <laughs> session, that, that was the, that was the purpose of me speaking was to, to let, not only to feel the love, but to let those people who are not always very loving in that legislative building yeah. <laughs> feel that love and give me that love because we forget that too about we want to be the givers of all that i mean you know dario that's one thing that's something i've been proud of even through all my craziness and challenges that i know how to accept i know how to ask for help i'm okay with that <laughs> much to dario's chagrin i ask a lot of help but um me too yeah, <laughs> since we're all Brene Brown uh, followers too, she has something she says about that. I'll paraphrase, but that if you're that person that says, "Oh, I don't like to ask for anything. No, I'm a giver. I like to give. I want to help. Oh, I hate. No, I'll never ask for anything. I don't like." If you're doing that, then you're actually judging that, right? If you're judging taking help, you're judging giving help. And you're not really doing it freely and loving. And you're shutting doors that are the uh, miracles that can come in that you're, you're really telling the universe no. Right. Um, instead of inviting that in and giving the gift to somebody else to give. Right. Um, I think that's such an important point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we started the show with the premise that there is, you know, a structure, if not a formula, for how to, you know, overcome adversity and create resiliency. And, and I, I think. You know, you're, to paraphrase your answers, like there's not one way to get there. Um, but what I'm hearing is sharing and connecting with others. Yeah, you I know, mean, is part of that is part of that formula, right? Is part of that process. You know. Yeah, that's true. I didn't look at it that way. It, it is. It's if you look at the jobs that you mentioned that I've that I had when I was uh, in financial planning, I did that to, I was recruited into that for my, not because I had any background or any business giving anybody financial advice. It's because I had the connections to get business for that company. And I was, and I did it to get out of, otherwise I would have been in a secretarial position probably forever because I didn't have the academic background to do other mm -hmm. things. And, and you had the secret that you were covering too, that, you know, right. was in yes. your mind holding you back, right? Keeping you Absolutely. there. Worth right? that. I was shocked when they recruited me, right? So the, you know, I certainly, it wasn't something that I could say I loved because I wasn't good at it. I didn't really feel, you know, I had all my baggage I was bringing with it, but I did know that I wouldn't lie to anybody. I did know I would make sure that people weren't uh, conned out of any money and that they were, it was a legitimate business so when I brought them to the other guys, the, the men that were running it at the time that would advise them. So th that's that kind of that's that was my purpose. My purpose was not to be a financial planner. My purpose was whatever I was doing to make sure that people got connected in a loving way and uh, in a safe way. Right. The fundraising, it wasn't about boy, I love calling people and asking them for money or <laughs> making Mario sit down and make him call for, for money. I'm like, like that better. But it was because of the connect, the people, the connections. And again, I, I lasted in that business so long without people running when they saw me coming because I knew why I was coming. I lasted because they knew that I wasn't going to ask them 
if they to give something that was against what I knew were their beliefs or their party affiliation or their interest, right? So it's always approaching people with that love that that was my that was my purpose. Of course, what I'm doing now makes it I don't have to work around the job. It's absolutely aligned to to what I've everything in my life has led up to this. I think right? I'm totally in heaven. That thing about you won't you know find what you love to do and you won't work a day in your life. Yeah, that's where I am now. But it is. Absolutely, what you just said is that that connection. You you need the connection. We're, we saw this year how much we need connection. Yeah, if your purpose today is to connect and to be loving, I would say you're meeting that purpose beautifully, Amy. Uh, no one connects, no one cares, no one loves their community, their neighbor, and now themselves. You know better than you, and I want to thank you for teaching me so much, right? And for those who are at home, uh, you're getting a snippet of why she's so brilliant. But uh, I mean, we'd need hours and hours and hours to uncover her brilliance and her beauty, both internal and external. And uh, it's been such a experience to see you grow in every way, you know, you. And, uh, and to experience your resiliency, right? And to, to see it uh, in action, you know, every day. And to see how you went from a secretary to the first woman to be appointed uh, to the athletic commission, to the top political fundraiser, top speaking coach, to serving on a federal as a federal appointee on on you know human trafficking, it's nothing wow. short of incredible. You know the arc has been incredible, and and it's been challenging. You know the adversity you faced is is greater. I know we all you know, minimize to normalize. And we all say, oh, what happened to me wasn't as bad as what happened to this person. I know I've done that. I know you've done that. We've had those conversations. But what you've done in light of what you've experienced is a definition of resilience. And uh, Absolutely. I, I, I want to say as your friend and, and someone who admires you deeply, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being there. You know, I've been lucky to have angels in my life. Sometimes I didn't always recognize them, especially when I was younger. But you know, you were somebody, you were one of the few people that knew my secret, that kept my secret, and that didn't judge me because of my secret, and mm. have been the biggest cheerleader since it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it means a lot. Uh, it reminds every time we talk about the past, uh, especially the fundraising times, it also reminds me of one of the things, one of the biggest lessons I've learned through this is noticing people who are angry and having some grace, you know, showing them some grace. Because yeah. I was so angry during those fundraising years, right, Dario? I mean, it was, yeah. Dario had to, you know, apologize for Like, it's okay, you don't have to deal with her, I'll deal with her. <laughs> and, and yeah, I was, wasn't considered a team player. It was me and Dario, or me and this candidate. And I, I, my defense, my shield, so you didn't see through me and see my secret, was that anger. And, mm -hmm. and I know people it manifest in different ways. You know, I think with you, Dario, it might have been what came off as an arrogance was your defense, right? Mm -hmm. and, and mine was anger. And so I see when I see that in other people now, it's, you know, I, obviously I see myself like, mm, no, no, it's not pretty. <laughs> That's what that looked like. And but I, I try and have grace with it, too. So mm -hmm. the lessons That's are constant. The lessons are constant if you'll if you'll 
open yourself up, it, it's amazing, right? The, the freedom that comes with it, the love that comes with it, but also the constant learning, the constant awareness is, is pretty magical. Well, what I hear you saying is that 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 thing that almost broke you really made you. It it allowed you to be the fullest and the biggest version of yourself and really give your love and your light and and your purpose to the world. And I think that's something that our audience and I know I can I've learned personally and I feel is, is something that I want to pass down to my kids that we get to all the parts of us, even the broken parts, even the sad parts are valuable and are a gift to somebody else if we're willing to be vulnerable and authentic and share it. And I just thank you. I can't wait to, to watch your documentary and, and hear the full story of, and, and your truth. Thank you. Yeah, for those at home, just a reminder, the documentary is The Zen Speaker, Breaking the Silence. It can be found on Amazon Prime in the US. Amy can be emailed at amy at thezenspeaker.com for her speaking coaching. And her website is thezenspeaker.com. And I've been through her classes uh, multiple times. I've been through her writing retreats. And and the reason I can have these conversations is because of Amy. The reason I can ask these questions, the reasons I can look at myself honestly, uh, the reasons I'm comfortable in my own skin have a huge, huge part because of the work she's done with me, not just in the techniques, but in helping me understand, you know, my story and sharing this story in a place that's safe, uh, in a place that it's going to be valued, right? And through that process, I learned to value myself, you know, and, and that's uh, what a gift, you know. So if you're looking for that gift, uh, Amy can uh, certainly guide you in that path. And as always, if you have any comments, any questions, anything you want us to address you know, comment and uh, share your thoughts with us, right? This is meant for you. This is to serve you, to connect with you, uh, to put it in Amy's uh, language, to connect to our purpose of loving, uh, right? And being loving and connecting. So, uh, you know, share your thoughts, you know, ask your questions, uh, give us your feedback and, and we're here for you. And until next time, I'm Dario Herrera with Christy Grease. Thank you, Amy AU for being a wonderful human being and for all you do and for being our first guest. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you.